attorney, Fox News legal analyst, and two-time New York Times bestselling author. This is The Brief with Greg Jarrett. Hello, everyone. I'm Greg Jarrett, and welcome to The Brief. Well, the Democratic National Convention is come and gone, and not a single word was uttered about the rampant violence convulsing cities across the nation. That was not an oversight. No, that was done by design. The Democratic Party, led by Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, want to be woke. So much so, they don't dare condemn the carnage and bloodshed at Black Lives Matter protests that have become a front for looting, vandalism, arson, assault, and battery shootings, and in some venues like Seattle, murder. If Joe Biden wins in November, the lawless mob will be the real victor. Every presidential election turns on what voters believe is the most compelling narrative about the problems facing the nation. There are two predominant problems right now, the pandemic and the escalating violence that has transformed American cities into war zones. Now, as for the pandemic, the day after the convention, Joe Biden said he would shut down the entire country if scientists told him to do it. Seriously. Biden said that. Here it is. If you're sworn in come January and we have coronavirus and the flu combining, which many scientists have said is a real possibility, would you be prepared to shut this country down again? I would be prepared to do whatever it takes to save lives because we cannot get the country moving until we control the virus. That is the fundamental flaw of this administration's thinking to begin with. In order to keep the country running and moving and the economy growing and people employed, you have to fix the virus. You have to deal with the virus. So if the scientists say, shut it down? I would shut it down. I would listen to the scientists. So if you cast your ballot for Joe Biden in November, are you really voting for a bunch of unknown or unnamed scientists who will control your lives and, more importantly, your livelihoods? Will you become jobless and broke, maybe hungry, unable to feed your family because some scientists whose names and qualifications we don't even know will actually be serving as a de facto presidency dictating whether we will all be confined to our homes while businesses are largely shuttered? Will the vast majority of the nation's economic activity come to a screeching halt indefinitely? At the outset of the COVID-19 pandemic, President Trump issued a comprehensive set of safety guidelines to try to limit the spread. He did not shut anything down. No, that was the work of governors and mayors. They did it by executive fiat. The doors to businesses were ordered closed. Under threat of punishment, people were ordered to stay in their homes. These officials promised It would only take 15 days to flatten the curve. They were wrong. Yes, shutdowns did manage to slow the spread, but only for a time, and then it picked up again. The damage of those closures and shutdowns was enormous, historic. The economic and human cost 
was devastating. More than 30 million Americans were suddenly out of work, and many still remain jobless. Their bank accounts are empty. Their bills continue to mount. Businesses everywhere were ruined. Some went bankrupt, never to open again. But Joe Biden is now vowing to double down on that failure if scientists tell him to do it. You know, the last time I checked, Biden is the Democratic nominee, not some nameless group of scientists. We don't vote for a president so he or she can simply hand over the reins of government to somebody else. Keep in mind that doctors and scientists have only one narrow goal in mind, saving lives. Collateral damage? Not their concern. They don't give a damn about livelihoods or jobs, income, or putting food on the table. That's everybody else's problem. Joe Biden doesn't seem to understand that good and competent presidents must necessarily look at the big picture to balance the medical risks against the economic health of all Americans. Beyond all the joblessness and lost businesses, lockdowns have caused untold injury to Americans in the form of depression, chronic anxiety, alcoholism, drug overdoses, and yes, suicides. But Biden seems oblivious to all that. He's like the surgeon who boasts the operation was a success, though the patient died. Consider this. Extensive data collected by the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, is alarming. In fact, it's frightening. Roughly 25% of young adults say they have considered suicide because of the pandemic. 30% have symptoms of depression. The director of the CDC, Dr. Robert Redfield, stated younger people are dying from suicide and drug overdoses in far greater numbers than from the coronavirus. Take a listen. But there has been another cause that we've seen, particularly in high schools. Uh, we're seeing, uh, sadly, far greater suicides now than we are deaths from COVID. We're seeing far greater deaths from drug overdose uh, that are above excess than what we had as background than we are seeing deaths from COVID. That should send a chill down your spine. What have these state and local officials done? They never considered the mental hardship, the emotional harm of locking down an entire population, cutting them off financially and psychologically all at the same time. And what about depriving children of schooling and social interaction, isolating them as if they were in solitary confinement? Redfield said that's causing even more damage because kids are robbed of needed mental health services and vital meal services from their schools. He concluded that the benefit of schools opening far outweighs any potential negatives from the coronavirus. Do Biden's unnamed scientists care about any of that? Does he? Nobody knows. Biden doesn't really know. He's not saying, at least. He's willing to cede his authority as president to a small group of unelected people if they simply tell him to shut down the entire country. President Trump knows that's a recipe for disaster. He has cited all of these established facts as among the reasons why he has been pushing to reopen schools, churches, and businesses to get the U.S. economy going again. 
He's well aware of the catastrophic human damage done by states that forced all of the closures. The president correctly observed, lockdowns didn't work the first time, they won't work the second time. And he's absolutely right. Thankfully, there are some medical professionals who are speaking out against these draconian lockdowns. Among them, Dr. Scott Atlas at Stanford University. He continues to warn that irrational policies of isolation are destructive. They're literally killing people. For example, tens of thousands of people who have cancer have not been diagnosed or received treatment. Instead of a targeted approach to protect the most vulnerable and at-risk people, Decisions were made on a wholesale basis to close businesses and lock people down. It was an overreaction driven by panic and hysteria. We got to keep in mind what we're trying to do here. Here, you don't eradicate the virus by locking down. You minimize the damage here, and remember that the harms of the lockdown are severe. The lockdown itself kills people, destroys families, prevents education of our children. But Joe Biden, if elected president, promises he'll shut down the entire country if some scientists endorse that idea. That's his plan. That's what he'll do. He'll turn over the operations of government to scientists that he hasn't even named. In other words, you may be voting for a phantom president. Is that what you want? The other major problem facing Americans right now is the cycle of violence and crime plaguing cities across the nation. Places like Seattle, Portland, New York, Chicago, Atlanta, and Minneapolis. What started out as a legitimate protest by Black Lives Matter quickly devolved into lawlessness and disorder. Police officers were attacked and clubbed. Buildings were set ablaze. Store windows were smashed and looters ransacked and stole their merchandise. In Chicago, a BLM organizer by the name of Ariel Atkins defended the mass looting as reparations. She egged on the crowd, saying, quote, Anything they want to take, take it, because these businesses have insurance. They're going to get their money back. My people aren't getting anything. And so the looting continued and the violence escalated. Shootings and murders in the Windy City skyrocketed. What did the Democratic Mayor Lori Lightfoot do? She ordered the Chicago Police Department to ban protesters from the block where she lives, citing her own right to safety. Well, what about the safety of everybody else in Chicago? Apparently, that doesn't matter at all. As far as Lightfoot is concerned, you can commit crimes with impunity in Chicago, except on her block. Then there's Seattle. The Democratic mayor allowed protesters free reign to literally commandeer an entire section of the city for weeks. She actually encouraged them to maintain their lawless takeover. Mayor Jenny Durkin is her name. She instructed police to stand down. That is, until two people were murdered in the so-called peaceful occupied zone. Still, the unfettered mayhem has continued, with gun violence up 55% in Seattle since June 1st. At one point, Black Lives Matter protesters marched through a white neighborhood in Seattle demanding that the residents there give up their homes. Look at all those people fighting for justice. Funny as up. Just 
it all the time just a second ago when the, the drums and everything else was going. But now that the heat's on you, you can't take it. Well, guess what? Get the out the kitchen and move out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Get the out the kitchen and move out. Get us back to black people. Get us back to black people. Fire, fire, dance for fire. Really? And then there's Portland, Oregon. As speaker after speaker, the Democratic National Convention eulogized the Black Lives Matter movement. A sickening videotape emerged showing a white man being chased down by BLM protesters, dragged from his vehicle, and beat into unconsciousness. Why? The victim had tried to stop the crowd from mugging a transgender woman. I didn't really have an issue with anyone when I went down there to start with. So I'm not really trying to, you know, pick up an issue here. I think they were down there for a cause and trying to show something for their cause. And what they showed is what they showed. And that's where I stand with it. The main attacker seen on video is now under arrest. But he's heard shouting, Black Lives Matter and other attackers were wearing BLM shirts during the attack. So no, these weren't just criminals who hijacked the BLM movement to satisfy their own zest for violence. If you have any doubt about it, just listen to what Latitha Winston, a Black Lives Matter protester in Portland, told a cheering crowd. She called them comrades, by the way. She said she wanted, quote, filthy, disgusting animal cops to fry like bacon. This is a war, she screamed. We're getting ready to get armored up. Your mother's umbilical cord should have erect around your neck and choked you just the way you choked George Floyd, you filthy animal. Not only should that umbilical cord should have erect around your neck, it should not have wrapped around your neck once. It should have wrapped around your neck three, two times, not six times, but seven times. It should have wrapped around your neck so many times to where you yell, I can't not breathe. After that umbilical cord wrapped around your neck seven times, she, she should have spit you out the back of her. Mm. You think that you a, a good person because you have a gun. My comrades already know, I tell them every Thursday, right there in their face. I know you got a gun, but so do I. Go ahead and shoot me. I'm shooting back. Am I lying, my comrades? You shoot me, I'm going to shoot you back. You, just because you got a gun, you got a permit, but I got one too. You just ain't abiding by your permit rules. You need to be charged with murder. They need to hang you high. Not hang you low. They need to send you to the electric chair and let you fry like a piece of burnt bacon. Stomp on that until you can't even get peeled up off the pavement. Okay, let's pause for just a moment. Not all BLM protesters are like that. 
Many believe it's an important movement with legitimate goals to end police abuse and racial injustice. Fair enough. Many of these same people engage in constitutionally protected peaceful protests. But all you have to do is look at the endless streams of video showing the carnage of violence to realize that a well-intended movement has now been co-opted. In Portland, some 80 straight days of rioting. In Chicago over the weekend, 66 people were shot, five of them fatally. In New York City, five people were murdered in 20 shootings during the weekend. In Minneapolis, the number of people killed by gun violence is up 95%. And the list goes on and on. Did any one of the dozens of speakers at the Democratic National Convention make mention of the Portland attack or condemn the many hate crimes and acts of violence that have shaken American cities to their core? No, not a word. Instead, they berated America for being racist. We're all bad people, we're told. They lavished praise on BLM. They paid homage to the group without ever mentioning its direct connection to bloodshed. I created Black Lives Matter Plaza right behind me as a place where we could come together to say enough. The daughter who believes that equal justice means justice for all. We are America. The child who knows that black lives matter. Because black lives matter. Americans of all races joining together to declare, in the face of injustice and brutality at the hands of the state, that black lives matter. Can we become a country that lives up to the truth that black lives matter? Black lives matter. And when it comes to racial justice, black opportunity matters. From Black Lives Matter Plaza, the District of Columbia proudly casts one vote for Bernie Sanders and 43 votes for the next president of the United States, Joe Biden. What about Joe Biden or Kamala Harris? Did they bother to address America's major urban crisis of crime and bloodshed? No. Did they offer a solution? No. That would make too much sense. Their conspicuous silence was deafening a shameful abdication of leadership. But it does give us a valuable insight into what a President Biden would be like. Clueless. Maybe they were all taking their marching orders from Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, who is a member of the infamous AOC-led squad. Presley told MSNBC, quote, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there's unrest in our lives. Does Joe Biden even know what's going on? Hyden Biden, or Basement Biden as he's now known, has been sequestered in his underground bunker for months. He's declined serious interviews. He avoids reporters like it's a game of dodgeball. To him, maybe it is. His handlers trot him out of the bowels of his Delaware home now and again to make a carefully scripted appearance in front of a television camera, sans audience. Then it's back to the basement for Joe. Democrats and their allies, the mainstream media, waited anxiously for Biden's big acceptance speech at their virtual convention. Could he do it? Or would he stumble, fumble, and mumble, or lapse into some incoherent, inexplicable rambling, as he has done so often? 
When the soon-to-be 78-year-old Biden did manage to read the teleprompter for 24 straight minutes, you could feel the collective sigh of relief. Exhale, everyone. Democrats in the media were over the moon with joy. Think about that. The bar is so exceedingly low for Biden that you're absolutely giddy with excitement when your nominee for president manages not to screw up his acceptance speech. Americans have a right to know what's going on with Joe Biden and not just the truth about his mental capacity. Yes, character counts, but so does health and stamina and fitness. Importantly, how does Biden feel about all the violence? We don't know because he won't say. What, if anything, would he do to stop it? Maybe he wouldn't. More to the point, what does Biden think about Black Lives Matter? In an interview, one of the co-founders of the group described herself and a BLM colleague as trained Marxists. She bragged about it. Go to their website. Do you agree with their goals? They advocate a national defunding of police and prison abolition. They want to, quote, disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure and foster a queer-affirming network and dismantle cisgender privilege. Do you even know what that means? Does Joe know? The Democratic platform officially endorsed BLM repeatedly. Does that mean the Democrats are in favor of a militant-inspired group that has a record of inciting violence? Because that's what's happening out on the streets. There's video evidence to prove it, and BLM leaders are more than happy to brag about it on camera. Perhaps Biden and Democrats like what's happening. Isn't their refusal to condemn the incessant violence a tacit approval of that violence? Maybe they agree with a new district attorney in Portland who announced he'll refuse to prosecute most of the rioters arrested by law enforcement. His name is Mike Schmidt. He calls himself a progressive, swell guy. He called the rioting and looting righteous anger and grief. No, Mike, it was criminality. Assaulting police with rocks and bottles, burning government buildings, damaging property, stealing merchandise, those are crimes. You cannot sugarcoat it. But Mike Schmitz, the Portland DA, did. Within his first 10 days in office, he dismissed the charges against more than half of the 600 people arrested for crimes. Bye-bye. Have a nice day. So much for law and order from the chief prosecutor in Portland. Miranda Devine is a terrific columnist for the New York Post. She has a theory about all of this, and it goes like this. Violence and disorder is a determined democratic strategy designed to dislodge Donald Trump from the White House. So how exactly does that work? Well, really, it's quite easy. Just blame Donald Trump for the violence and chaos in the streets, even though, unlike Democrats, he's the one who has consistently condemned it. He's taken aggressive actions to stop it. Also, toss in the usual trope that, you know, Trump must be a racist because he's a Republican and all Republicans are by definition racist, yada, yada, yada. So Democrats, as the theory goes, want the violence and lawlessness to continue. They're banking 
on the traditional metric in politics that voters respond to bad times or bad events by blaming the party in power. That would be Trump, of course. Except for this. Trump doesn't control cities like Portland, Seattle, Chicago, Atlanta, Minneapolis, or New York City, or any of the other major metropolitan cities that have been racked by violence. No, they're all run by Democrats, every single one of them, no exceptions. So Trump's counter strategy should be to expose the truth behind the violence, continue to explain to voters that Democrats run these dysfunctional, violent cities and promise to use all of the resources at his disposal to halt the wanton, unbridled criminality because Democrats clearly won't. That would be a winning strategy for Trump. The day after the Democratic convention ended, I spoke with Tim Murtaugh, communications director for the president's re-election campaign, about the conscious decision by Joe Biden and Democrats to completely ignore the violence that plagues American City. I'm so struck by the fact that America is racked by violence in cities across the nation. Uh, I mean, you're talking about shootings and murders, assault and battery, robberies, thefts of all kinds, uh, arson, vandalism. Um, And yet not a word from Joe Biden last night or Kamala Harris, his vice presidential running mayor. In fact, anybody at the Democratic National Convention, which invites the question, you know, is Joe Biden unaware? Is he oblivious? Or maybe he's the anti-law and order candidate. Uh, I think their ticket definitely has a problem with that. And no, Joe Biden did not say anything about the violence racking major cities across the country, all of which are run by Democrats and have been for decades. And he didn't say anything about both uh, his agreement and Kamala Harris's agreement with uh, cutting police funding. Uh, And uh, there's a reason for that. It's because Joe Biden can't tell the rest of the country that. But he is too weak to stand up to the extremists, the anti-police crowd who is now in charge of the Democrats party. Earlier, in the part that people don't see if they were watching the convention at night, earlier in the day, in the daytime programming, in the, under the DNC banner, you had people saying, imagine a country without cops. Imagine a country without ICE. Imagine a country without prisons. This is who the Democrat Party is today. And Joe Biden is under the control of the extremists who run that party, last night just cemented that. It was the completion of the radical takeover of Joe Biden and his campaign. He just can't say it out loud, but that's what's happening. Because he wants to be woke, and in fact, he's barely awake. Um, In Chicago, (laughs) I mean, in Chicago, it really is a war zone there. Uh, Just yesterday, 16 people were shot, two of them murdered, That's in one day, for goodness sakes. Much of the downtown was looted. Mayor Lori Lightfoot didn't lift a finger to stop any of it. All of a sudden, they come to her neighborhood and protesters are banned. So isn't the message here, you can commit crimes in Chicago with impunity, but not on my block. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. It's rules for thee, but not for me. And and this is why there's such another great contrast among many between Joe Biden and President Trump. Joe Biden, again, is too weak to stand up to the anti-police crowd. That defund the police train has left the Democrat station. And Joe Biden is a hapless passenger on top, on the, on that train. You know, he, he has to support sanctuary cities. He has to refuse to enforce our immigration laws. Uh, he has to stand with the folks who want to cut police funding in fact, he said, yes, absolutely, he agrees with redirecting funding. Contrast that with President Trump, who says, no more, we're not going to take this. We understand. We understand and support First Amendment protests, peaceful protests. But when they cross the line into violence, and when there's other violence happening in cities like Chicago, that's it. The president says, no, he will send in the National Guard and federal troops, federal agents, if they, the, the governors don't do that. And he has shown that in, in Portland. Right. And then the, they go and provide help and then withdraw. And then Portland lets it go crazy again. That's exactly what has happened. So the president has said, listen, I am the law and order president. And that's exactly why you see police unions endorsing him one after the other, up to and including most recently the NYPD and also uh, the Border Patrol Union as well. Right. So now, they know that Joe Biden has turned his back on law and law enforcement. Well, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. Joe Biden claims he's going to unify race relations. But when he was vice president, the opposite happened. Biden's track records, Tim, show that he is not capable of championing racial harmony, right? Yeah, and it goes a lot further back than that. I mean, you had on stage during the Democrat primaries, his now running mate, Kamala Harris, for all intents and purposes, call him a racist because when he was in the Senate, he worked with those racist segregationist senators on racist policies like opposing the integration of public schools through busing. And Kamala Harris stood there in that debate and said that those were racist policies and that they had personally hurt her when she was a little girl. Fast forward to just this year and you've got Joe Biden telling a black radio host that black people who don't vote for him ain't black in Joe's view. A a black journalist asked Joe a question that he didn't like and he accused the guy of being a cocaine junkie. He also said in another interview that uh, if uh, that uh, that in his view all black people think alike as you know compared to other racial groups in this country. It's a very condescending view of black voters. He thinks that he is entitled to their support and he expects it before the fact and I think that comes through and one other thing I want to say these are gaffes. I think a lot of the mainstream news media gives him a little bit too much credit by saying that it's a gaffe when he says that. A gaffe implies that it's an innocent mistake that right. anybody could make. These are things that Joe Biden actually believe. And right. when, they, <clears throat> when they come out of his mouth, you know, and it's consistent. You know this is the way he thinks. This is the way, way his mind works. A black journalist asks him a question he doesn't like. He immediately goes right. to illegal drug use for some reason. Right. That's because just what he thinks. The longer Joe Biden remains silent on the lawless mob and the escalating violence, the more dangerous a Biden presidency seems. He is the invisible candidate, far from the matting crowd. Biden is either incapable of governing or he is simply unwilling to do what it takes. Whether it's the pandemic or the lawless mob, Biden is not the cure. He's a feckless figurehead with no firm convictions who would only compound those two problems. By his own admission, he would be a one-term president if elected. So don't kid yourself. Biden won't be in charge. The radical left will be. You doubt it? 
just take a look at the party's convention platform. It's a far-left, socialist-driven manifesto of $4 trillion in higher taxes, a warmed-over, budget-busting Green New Deal, suffocating regulations that'll choke businesses to death, the slow dismantling of private insurance in favor of government-run health care. Instead of Medicare for all, they're calling it Medicare for more. Very clever. The platform stands for open borders and a whole lot of free stuff that the government can't possibly pay for. Who came up with it? Not Joe Biden. Bernie Sanders and AOC helped craft the platform while Nancy Pelosi set the agenda. So Biden won't actually be president. They will, along with Kamala Harris, the most liberal voting member in the U.S. Senate. You'll recall that she all but accused Biden of being a racist during her most memorable primary debate. It was a cheap shot. Biden is not a racist, notwithstanding several incendiary remarks he made recently in a conversation with black journalists. During their own convention, Republicans and President Trump will have a golden opportunity to do what Democrats and Biden failed to do, condemn the out-of-control violence that has turned American cities into uninhabitable war zones, where citizens fear to walk the streets or emerge from their homes. But condemnation alone is not enough. A solution must be offered. Because the only thing more dangerous than the lawlessness of power is the lawlessness of the mob. And that's The Brief. I'm Greg Jarrett. If you like this podcast, subscribe to it. And for more stories, go to my website, thegregjarrett.com.